0: This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. In this Coach Developer podcast, I speak to Kat Crossrayar and explore her inspiring journey through US and Iranian football, empowering women through sport. We talk about Kat's background, the challenges she has overcome, and the influences and support she has had on her journey into coaching.
1: My name is Kat. It's short for Kat Toyun. I am American Iranian, born in the US, and started playing soccer when I was five years old. And I say soccer because I started in the US, but I know I should say football in this podcast. Um I've been playing, you know, for all these years, and you know, I, I my dream was to make it on the national team. And I was well on that path in the US until I reached um 17 years old, where I decided to go to Iran. For a two-week vacation prior to, um, you know, joining the big clubs or and going to university for football, and uh, it was just my way of, you know, saying hello to my family and, you know, telling them about my journey as, uh, you know, a soccer player a football player in in the U.S. And when I went to Iran, I realized that there was no women's football, there were no teams, there was absolutely no platform or foundation for women's soccer. In a country that you know, the men's soccer was super famous, and they were they went to the World Cup. They beat the U.S., and I just never understood why there was no women's soccer. Um, I had to train in those two weeks, and uh, it was very difficult to find a training ground to to play until um, you know one thing led to another, where I was actually introduced to the former women's uh, president of the football federation. Uh, Her name is Miss Sapanji. And she told me that they are beginning to start the first women's national team and that she would like to invite me to the very first training. And, uh, you know, to, to my surprise, I, I kind of, you know, agreed to it. And I said, sure, why not? It's a great place for me to train. And when I go back to the U.S., you know, I'm not going to be gaining all this weight from the amazing food in Iran, but, you know, I'll have a place to, to train as well. So um my very first day of training I uh, I went with shorts I went with a short sleeve shirt I you know I knew I was in Iran where you know people would wear hijab on the streets but I didn't know that in sports I would have to do the same So the very first day I went to training I ran on the field uh, with my shorts and you know a couple people started running after me and uh, yelling at me saying that I can't play uh, I have to go change and put hijab on and I didn't speak uh, Farsi at the time so eventually, uh, it was Ali Daei, uh, who uh, you know I think everyone in the world knows. He's a very famous um, Iranian soccer player. Played in, um, you know, played in Germany. And I think if uh, Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't, you know, beaten his record, he's the record holder for international goals uh, for a national team. And he's the one who actually told me I have to wear a hijab. So this was kind of where my first step towards women's soccer in in Iran came about. And uh, when I when I began training with these women that had never set foot on a football field, I realized that you know my uh, my journey is going to take a whole different turn. And uh, at the age of seventeen, I decided to put everything in the U.S. behind me. Um, put the you know my my goal in my dream of playing on the US national team is not going to fo- be focused on the Iran national team, put aside my scholarships to, you know, university or college ball, and put aside, you know, my really, you know, comfortable American lifestyle to, you know, help the women in Iran face those challenges and to, you know, jump over all those hurdles. So I think that That's, you know, my journey started at a very young age and, you know, my passion for women's soccer uh, became a lot more um, deeply involved in uh, being an advocate for women's soccer that, you know, they didn't have a voice. And, you know, that's kind of how my journey began as as a 17 year old.
0: Tell me a little bit about um, your first experiences of of playing in Iran after those two weeks and and how you took your, your steps into coaching.
1: Okay, so as a player, uh, we had two months to train before our first very large tournament, was, which was called the Western Asian Games, and it was going to be played in Jordan. Mind you, uh, the Iran Football Federation kept our, kept our initiation into the football world very quiet because we were the only team in the world that had to wear the full Islamic gear. And I was not used to this. It was so difficult to play with a headscarf on my head where it was, you know, uh, predominantly tight around my neck and it was very difficult to maneuver in it. And the jerseys, it was like extra, extra, extra large shirts and pants. And uh, it's like having 10 kilograms added onto your weight. But I think the adrenaline of playing for a national team, um, you know, helped put all those factors to the side because at the end of the day, we just wanted to play. And, you know, my teammates and I, we had a lot of language barriers. My Farsi was not good at all. And um, their English was not good at all. And they came from all over Iran. And, uh, you know, you had all these different types of uh, customary, um, you know, boundaries that I didn't know, they didn't know. But at the end of the day, because of football, we made it work. Uh, I started playing uh, as a centre mid for the national team. And uh, although majority of the girls, it was their first time playing football, um, I, you know, I I never, I I was very humbled by it because I was seeing how quickly they were able to progress and how quickly the coach was able to get the players from point A to point B in a very short duration of time. And uh, this was with minimal support because, um, you know, women's soccer or women's football in Iran didn't have the help or expertise. Um, or the technical staff of uh, a men's national team. It was just one head coach and one assistant coach. That was it. And uh, the coach at the time, Sod Mozafar, she, uh, who's right now, you know, heading the the Kuwait uh, Football Federation. Uh, she, you know, she had a great game plan for us to go into this tournament and, um, you know, at least try to strategize and win these games, which is exactly what we did. We played against uh, predominantly Arab nations that had started football uh, you know a few years prior to us, but because of the genetic makeup of Iranian players, it was very natural for them to you know get on a field, start playing with each other, and win games and i'll never forget the very first game that we scored our goal i mean it was silent for the first five seconds, and then all of us kind of screamed and jumped and you know kissed the ground that we just made history as the very first um national team after 40 years post the, the Islamic revolution and we scored our first goal um internationally and this just you know everything that i i did in the us that that the grow, growing up in such um a, a strict environment when it came to sports and women's sports and you know putting everything to the side for that first goal for iran it was definitely worth it and i i really you know i don't believe in um in luck i do believe in um you know hard work really does pay off and it doesn't matter where you are in the world I, I my dream was to be on the national team but little did i know that i would be on the national team of you know my father's country and uh you know just, just the just the progress that quick progress progress that we were able to make on the iran national team it was um exactly what needed to happen i was at the right place at the right time and i wasn't going to let go of uh, anything, even though it was a whole different world for me, because playing with Islamic gear was nothing that I was used to. I never did it, and it was very uncomfortable. But I was—I um, wanted to be in, sol- in solidarity with um, you know my other teammates that also had to wear it. And I, if they weren't complaining, I wasn't going to complain. We were just going to get the job done.
0: The, the, for listening to what you're saying, Kat, there the seems to be so many firsts in your story. So first goal, first Iranian women's team. Um, first time for you kind of wearing the hijab weight when you're playing the game, that that must have fueled that team and that that group with a lot of emotion um, kind of building up and and playing in those games.
1: Oh, I mean, from that first tournament and when we came back to Iran, um, the... The, the Federation and you know the government, the the general public, they began hearing more and more about us and they were, you know, very intrigued and interested. Once we started gaining that support, uh the Federation began putting more national team training camps for us so we could start preparing for the Asian games and hopefully, you know, one day play against, you know, European teams, which is what we did. But that's kind of when the ball started rolling, and it was really important for the for the players to you know feel appreciated that you know they also are putting aside their families their jobs you know their life to come to national team training camp and you know pave that path for the other uh future players of Iran um you know my whole purpose to stick and stay with them was you know to give them a the voice because you know, at the time, you know, Facebook wasn't very popular in Iran, and I started posting about them all the time. And I was getting a lot of attention by this, especially by my American counterparts. And, um, you know, when I asked one of my coaches, you know, who, um, interestingly enough, he's, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's British, currently living in the US, and he was my childhood coach, I told him, do I come back to the US? Or do I stay here? And he told me, don't even thinking about coming to the US, you stay there, and you create uh, you help get make this game um, more popular for women, and you lift all the women that you can. And based off of him, his name is Steve Miles, um, currently in San Diego. He, uh, you know, he's the one who kind of you know convinced me 100% to stay in Iran, and you know, paved that path for the rest of the women. And you know, whenever I started playing, and we started getting more attention, I didn't know it was also going to come with a lot of negative backlash. Because we are the only women in the world that play with hijab, which is the mandatory hijab. Uh, FIFA and a lot of other um, you know regulatories are not like that. And they actually try to disqualify us from a lot of tournaments, especially the Olympics. And you know I'm I kind of play the the middle ground here because I've played with and without it. I'm American and I'm Iranian. And I felt like that was another opportunity for me to help women get back on the field after we were disqualified in 2011 from the pre-Olympic qualification that, you know, yes, we do look, you know, different, but, um, you know, we're not, we're not here to advocate for anything. We're just here to play because this is the only way we're allowed to play. And I fought for two years with, um, you know, the regular, uh, the you know, the, the governing bodies of football to get the women back on the training field, so we can, you know, show the world what we have, which is talent. We have an abundance of talent. And um, you know, I, I actually studied in the UK, University of Birmingham, Chemical Engineering Masters. And you know, the only thing that, you know, was <laughs> helping me not fail. It was the fact that my professors really respected the fact that I was a national team player for the Iran uh, team, and they were very supportive of uh, you know my going back and forth all the time, which kind of led me into the coaching world because I never believed that with my masters of you know chemical engineering I'd end up being a national team coach, but it was the only way to get women more noticed internationally and to get their their word across that you know they they want to play they are you know they're They're passionate to play and don't look at them as, you know, oh, oh, poor things that have to wear hijab. Look at them as ninjas who are going to, you know, win and, you know, do their best to, to, you know, defend you and also score against you. And I just have to change the narrative uh, completely that, you know, these are also strong, influential women. Don't look at them as, you know, women who wear hijab. Look at them as players as you would any other national team. And that's you know what I've been doing for the past fifteen years. To uh, I, I'm their voice.
0: So, so as a former player, uh, as as kind of in in the national team manager role, how how did you manage to kind of galvanise that support, or or even as you put it, kind of lift lift other women up? What what did that start to look like, and how did you know that the I guess the the impact that you were having with others.
1: I, I didn't know my impact until I went on national television in Iran, and I started talking about my story and the fact that I am the, the under-19 national team coach of an american Iranian. Um, Iran is a population of 82 million people. And that night, my Instagram completely, it it just kicked me out because so many people were um, following me, intrigued about the story. And all the newspapers started writing about it and magazines. And I was getting, you know, all this attention. And it was good attention, not just on me, but on the national team. And I feel like, you know, people don't know what they're doing until, you know, a player, like what my players were like, Coach Kat. What have you done? Everybody in my street knows my name, knows who I am, knows who you are, and you know they, they live in really rural areas, and you know you have these. And um, I was the I was known as like the 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 wonder loss coach, I and mean, I was never only looking at major cities. I was traveling up and down villages and rural areas going where the nomads are to find players and I did not want to leave one player behind and people started taking notice of that movement and became so supportive of me and not just in Iran but throughout the region and throughout the world Um, I was getting contacted by a lot of um Uh, foreign-born Iranian nationals that also wanted to be a part of this movement and I told them I'm like playing with the hijab is not easy are you ready to take uh, that step and uh, put everything to the side and you know play for a country that is very passionate and is always the underdog and they got a ticket without you know even um, thinking about their answers and that's how I knew that my impact was actually a lot more than you know what I had imagined and it's only just started and, uh, you know, I, I'm just always get nervous and uh, stu- talking about this because, you know, I, I never know what I'm doing um, and, and who's it, who it is affecting. I just know that this is something that has made me happy and has put smiles on uh, my players' faces because I am really advocating for them. I'm doing my best to pave the path for them to make their football experience as uh, beautiful and as golden as mine.
0: Wow, fantastic. I mean, I was going to ask you kind of how, how it makes you feel when, when you think back about and think on the, the things that you've done and the impact that you've had on on other people. Um, I can imagine, though, it must, must take a huge amount of courage to, to kind of go through and, and overcome some of the challenges that, that you have with, with the system, with, I guess, the past and, and tradition to, to get to get to a point where you are now.
1: It is. Um, It it was very difficult for me to um, communicate my my love and passion for football with, um, you know, the men in the country, especially the ruling bodies in the country. So I was dealing with Islamic figures that um, didn't believe women should, um, you know, be on a field to play football. They believe that women should, you know, it's it's the, the cliche style of saying that, you know, women's best part of helping their family is to, you know, be in the kitchen and take care of the family. But um, that, I feel like that mentality has been dimmed a lot because they have seen how what the impact of women's football is on the country and, um, you know, how how they're taking these women and, you know, giving them this opportunity, this golden opportunity to, you know, it's it's not just playing football. You're also learning self-defense. You're also learning how to be a role model, how to be a figure, not just in the household, but also in your In your region, and uh, it's giving women this voice that they haven't had before. But uh, initially, it was very difficult because, you know, I'm coming from, you know, from the Midwest in the U.S., where it's all about cowboys and American football, and um, you know, you you don't deal with what I had to deal with in in Iran, which was to convince and uh, argue—not argue, let's just um, (laughs) say—negotiate with men that you know women do have the right to also play uh, on a soccer, on a football field. But uh, I think that is now far gone behind us that we don't focus on that anymore. Now, it's just a matter of how can we get, uh, how do, do we improve and go to the next uh, step or next phase of women's advancement in in soccer in the country and in the region and what else can not just I do, but the other women can do to help advance this um, to advance. Th- in any way shape or form in women's soccer whether it's as a coach as a player as um, a manager as a future owner of a club in any of those regards so that this is something that i'm trying to focus on more which is why i am studying again second masters in uh, global affairs because i want to be a sports diplomat i want to be able to um now take my role on a global um global stage to help an advocate for women
0: Wow, amazing! Uh, um, let, let's let's think about you as a coach, um, and I'm rocking up to see your practice. Uh, oh, what? what um, I have fun. <laughs> what, what? What do I expect to see? What? What's? What's a typical typical practice that you're running and delivering?
1: Okay, because I'm really into um music and you know my music was not uh, very popular within my players but they have also loved to they, they love it now um so usually before training uh i have you know a massive stereo system where while the girls are you know putting their socks and shoes on i have i turn the music up so loud just to kind of get into the zone and the players um you know they, they always make fun of me which is okay but then um all of a sudden they see my face change when it's training time so i go from this fun vibrant you know making you know jokes with everybody to all of a sudden the serious cat and um, you know some of my players they do they still get scared of this but um, whenever it's training time it's training time Uh, my warm-ups are you know they're they're pretty famous Uh, people have written books about my my warm-ups because uh, I had to train a team that it was the first time some of the players to step foot on a on a soccer field or a football field. And I had to teach them very quickly before the aging games, um, all the different uh, dynamics of a warm up and just the, the, the way their body should be shaped when they receive the ball and all of that. But my warm ups are fun. So I think the first thing people will take notice is uh, my very eccentric style of warming up. And then uh, that moves on quickly to, you know, some um some little uh, tactical drills and passing drills which uh, you know I'm very vocal and I try to keep up the motivation and the energy of the team at a, at a high for 90 minutes then uh, from there we go to you know our techniques rondos and then small sided games and uh, the the whole time you know my me and my technical staff we are you know on we are talking nonstop to players and whenever it's a small side game, we shut up. We don't talk. We let the girls, you know, have uh, their free mind and just be able to think for themselves because um, typically during games, I'm the coach that stands for 90 minutes and I am just trying to dictate and help as much as I can because majority of the girls don't have enough experience playing in the league and they don't have experience playing against like top teams like uh, Russia uh, or Italy, which is we've had to play against them. But Uh, Training sessions, I try to make it as fun as possible, um, and also for them to learn as much. I also, you know, I I don't, um, I I focus sometimes on the mistakes and errors, but I try to improve a lot on their strengths as well. And that seems to have helped tremendously um, as a female coach working with female players. And if I do need to talk to them about their mistakes, the problem areas, you know, I try to show them in a video, but never pinpoint them uh, personally. Uh, Because I always hated whenever coaches pinpointed me personally in a big room of people, you just get really shy and, you know, you're going to do the mistake again. And if you do make a mistake, you're just going to (laughs) cry. But, uh, you know, I I want the girls to, you know, to be able to be vocal with me as well. So we always have uh, something that I call the negotiation room where they would, um, you know, I would work on them one-on-one. I'd have them clip their own videos of themselves to show me, um, like, a few of their strengths and a few of their weaknesses and then I would design a program specifically for them in training, but i was i I was you know micromanaging this because it was the only way that would work uh, in a short period of time to you know be successful in Asian tournaments, which is you know we were able to be successful and uh, but I don't think it, it it would be um like this in the long run once the girls have that foundation in in football <laughs> i hope i was able to um you know talk about that or relay my information properly
0: well <laughs> no, 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 really clear so you, you talked about kind of keeping it fun building on people's strengths stepping back during the games and just letting the players get on which which is kind of a, an approach we'd really advocate in terms of principles of really good coaching so what i'm, I'm interested what what influenced the your decision to coach in that way was it was it the way that you were coached um was it other people around you who kind of supported you on the, with that what what kind of formed those kind of non-negotiables for the way that you you kind of uh, behave as a coach what, during training and during games
1: and of it's important to answer like why i even started coaching i like i said i never in a million years i thought i would you know pursue this path in coaching and then i saw this big gap and hole in iran women's soccer football that The coaches, they were great, they were good, but they didn't have a background like mine where I started playing at a very young age and I have gone through, you know, immense amounts of uh, coaches like various backgrounds, but the coaches that always. Um, you know, influenced me the most were the reasons why I wanted to coach. For example, Steve Miles, Shah Hassan Mozaffar, and just to name a few. But these ones, they really impacted my life, not just on a personal level, not just on a, um, on, a on a playing level, but also as a holistic level of the way they impacted me. I want to be like them and I want to also carry on their message as a coach. And I had to fill in that gap and nobody was taking that responsibility to impact the next generation and I remember having a meeting with my family, and I told them I was like, "If I don't do this, nobody else will. And if the person who does it, they won't do it full heartedly. And I need to make sure that I can save this generation and show them hope." They all agreed; they had nothing to say <laughs> against, you know, my my dreams. So when I started coaching, it's honestly just to carry and relay the message that my amazing coaches did, and also even the coaches that, um, you know, they they were they, they negatively, negatively impacted me. I think I thought it was important to show some of the players that you know, negative coaches, um, they also have, you can learn from them. You can learn to not be like them. And uh, you know, whenever you have the chance to, to coach or mentor someone, you have to do it wholeheartedly and you have to make sure that the player is better than yesterday. And that's exactly why I wanted to continue coaching.
0: So you, you mentioned about kind of that holistic level which I think sometimes when talking to coaches, you can you can chip away beneath the the tactics and the, the, the tactics board and the X's and the O's. And th- does that kind of approach and considering you're supporting people rather than a group of players? Does that define the way that you lead the group as well as coach the group?
1: That's a really good question. I think the best way to answer is that, you know, my way of coaching individual players is very different than coaching the team as a whole, because I mean, I have a one on one relationship with them and I they trust me as much as I trust them. And then when I bring them together as a team, they all know where they stand in the team as well. And it's not like, oh, it's the captain and then everybody else. I mean, I try to bring the level of um, their their self-awareness and also their um, their confidence at an all time high that as a team, they play. Together and that was a really difficult task for me to do in Iran because um, I think it's just in the DNA that the players are very stubborn and it's really difficult to to mentor and coach very stubborn players who think that they are the best but I had to you know come in a way that yes you are the best but I can help you become even better and with that approach it, it really helped uh, define and give a framework for the team but I had to have and build a very strong relationship with these girls and, uh, like I said, individually and then as a team. And they trusted me with everything to the point that, you know, they would call me uh, in emergency situations that was happening within their family. Like They, they would trust me with, and confide in me with such important information. And I, I wouldn't give them a hard time. I, I was totally on their side and I was... Um, I was their biggest fan and they knew that I was their biggest fan. And I think that trust is extremely important to the individual and also to the team because they they see that you are doing this for the betterment of of them. And once they see that and feel it, because players are smart, um, they will give you 100% in training and in games.
0: You, you've spoken loads about how you've supported like, lots of aspiring players and and. and likely the next generation of female players coming through in Iran who who um who supports you uh, as a coach who who helps you on your journey
1: I have an awesome assistant coach and uh, if it wasn't for her there is no way that I would have been able to be successful with my national team and she she's the quiet very nerdy like watches every game knows every player in the world every coach in the world and you know she comes up with you know amazing uh, pointers uh, for me and you know we always worked really well together um, and also you know aside from you know my assistant coach you know my players have been massive supporters of me and even if I'm not there with them today in Iran I speak to them on a weekly basis and um, they 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 see that I'm still you know I haven't forgotten about them and even when I started coaching at OL Rain in, um, in Seattle they, uh, I try to connect the players together. So per, per position. So in the U.S., um, I had a couple national team players and I connected them with my Iran national team players, and they still have a great relationship. They follow each other on social media and I see that I, I haven't just let them go. Um, I'm here to help them in the future and, you know, to, to pave, you know, an international path now for them. But, um, you know, it's, I think, uh, you know, players, my assistant coach and family. I, I know that's also a cliche to say, with my family I was a big supporter, but my I, I never really saw my family growing up. I was always traveling for tournaments, games, training camps, World Cups, you know, you name it. I was always on the road and my family knew that football always came first like I missed my sister 's wedding because of a massive tournament i've missed you know so many birthdays, but they are so supportive because they see that I always make the effort that when I come back, I will always you know take him out for a good time as well. but you know that that was a big risk that we all had to take but we we all did it they all just supported me because they saw that that was my passion and if they held me back, it would, you know, it would be very depressing for them and for myself, but, um, you know, family also had to struggle a lot with my crazy schedule and, you know, I'm forever indebted to, to their love and support and they, they did it without any conditions, which, you know, not many family members can, can say. But, um, and also the international uh, football crew, Um, there's a lot of people that I don't know on social media, but they've helped make my message go viral. And if it wasn't for the likes of twitter instagram, there's no way that I would have been able to connect um internationally with uh voices that had such an impact globally and you know I'm forever grateful for that as well
0: now now one thing I was really keen to ask you about which um which I want to really just just explore a little bit was you, you mentioned when we were planning the this session about um bringing in some psychologists in to work with the women's team and and that that was something that hadn't hadn't really happened before. Um, I, I was just curious about kind of what, what why you chose to bring in some kind of additional support and, and kind of how it landed with the players.
1: Okay. So if you've ever met Iranian people, the first thing you'd notice is that the, that they're so emotional. <laughs> I mean, they can be at an all-time high and an all-time low within like a span of 10 minutes. And, you know, within sports in general, it doesn't matter if it's men or women, I don't think they've ever had a framework of um of mindfulness within their trainings because for example if they get scored on um within like the first 5 minutes there's it takes forever to get the team out of that um out of that uh, ditch and to bring them back up with confidence and it's just like i i i've never dealt with that before in my life because growing up in the US and they say if you make a mistake get back up you know take the dirt off your shoulders and keep going whereas in the Iran you fall you, you stay there and it takes forever to get back up and i needed I I needed additional support because there's only so much that I had time for as far as you know the training sessions and the motivation. But I definitely needed someone to help me go one step further in the in the girls' um, mindset to help build their confidence, their self esteem. That if they make a mistake, who cares? Who gives a damn? Just keep uh, get back up and you know continue um, playing um, at, at a very high level. And um, you know if you have a bad training day, like what well, what you can do to you know to have a better training day the next day and also the most important part or the most important phase was the final phase that it took seven months to get the girls there but was for them to be able to meditate and actually simulate them playing the next day or in a tournament and how they would play and and we would give them different scenarios uh, of how to be able to um, think about what they would do in those scenarios and this is something that as a coach, I've tried to do even in the U.S. is to give them options and give them so many options that when the time comes, they can pick one very naturally. But to bring in psychologists, I think it was uh, it was so helpful um, and, it, and it, it took off a lot of pressure from me so I could focus on the the, you know, the training and uh, making sure that we're able to you know play against teams like South Korea and have a really good outcome. And uh, th- those psychologists, they just got the players out of their own heads and um, helped them just to look at the bigger aim and the goal and to actually target it rather than you know moving away from it. But I think psychologists are very beneficial, very helpful, especially if they are on the same page as the coach.
0: Now, bringing in psychologists, I can imagine you, you were, you kind of, you're taking a, a chance there to see if it works and see if it has an impact and i love what you're saying about it, it takes the pressure off you as a coach it's actually you can focus on the, the stuff that, that's really important with, with your skills is there anything that you've you've tried whether you're out on, out on the field or you've brought other people in that that hasn't gone as well as uh because i think as coaches we have lots of wow moments but those ouch moments along the way can define us as well and they can really help shape us in the way we, we look at stuff so i guess is, is there anything that you've You've tried that you've looked back and think, yeah maybe that didn't work out as well as i, I wanted it to
1: I, i'm still a fairly you know new and young coach i mean i think i'm I, i'm still in shock that the federation trusted me as a you know a 30 year old to be the head coach of the national team of a country and you know it, it was a work in progress and you know i was learning every day as well but um my I, i'm a really aggressive person and some of the players liked it and were able to um, you know, they appreciated the fact that I was so passionate and very strong-headed. And then some players, they were more soft, and they, I wasn't able to connect with them. And at that level of me being, you know, super harsh, but um, I learned the hard way that I had to treat, I had to understand my players' mentality and how they were like, and if they were keen and, and understanding me whenever you know I I I get you know a little bit more vocal with them and I realized that no I had to learn how to control myself per player some players liked it some players you know were very sensitive about it and I had to put myself in their position so with each player I really had a different attitude uh one thing that I probably uh now that I look back on is that I um you know, I, I brought in a lot of um, male coaches. I think I was the very first uh, female coach that had technical stuff of male coaches as well. And they were very famous, popular figures in Iran soccer. And a lot of the girls had never played with uh, men or never had uh, or never played in front of men and i did this a couple months before our tournament and some of the girls were super shy that they've never played in front of men before and i probably wouldn't make that mistake i would slowly integrate the fact that men are coming to you know train with us and um you know help us uh, rather than getting the girls all nervous that you know there's men watching us and you know what do we do do i put my hijab on what how do i act and what do i say but uh, you know the men—they—they they didn't see it that way. They, you know, they were like, "All right, let's get to business, girls. We have a lot of work to do." And um, you know, they were very—they—they uh, they were great, very impactful. And but I would have slowly integrated them into into our into our system.
0: Some, something I guess I'm interested in is I'm sure lots of people are thinking when they're when they're listening to this. What what qualities do you bring that have really made a difference to the impact that you've had? Is there something about things that you're really conscious of or or things that are just cap that that come to life, which have have really made a difference?
1: I mean, I don't, I don't know how to answer that because I, I am who I am. I just know that I'm a really energetic person and I think people get thrown off guard whenever they first meet me because I just have all this energy and I'm, you know, I I just have my my ideas and what I want, my dream, my goals. You know, I say it and and I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I think that is one thing that has definitely helped um, people understand me and work with me because they see that I'm really doing this for the greater good. Um, as far as qualities, I you know my my family we're coming from a background of um general in the army to you know CEOs and you know top level managers like my sister is the the boss lady in in oil and gas in the US and I think uh it's just the upbringing that I had that whenever you take on a role you better do your damn best to make sure everything uh comes to fruition and you know you do not give up no matter what circumstance and um i i i don't want to say that of course i've given up many many times but it's also you have to pick yourself back up and it's the tenacity that one individual can um create within themselves to just uh, you know continue on the path and have that target and to move towards it Uh, my my goal you know my the big goal that i have is just to you know create um a a very good approach to women's soccer globally and I could have taken tens of thousands of different detours and routes and all of that but my that is my goal and my aim it doesn't matter how you get there it's just a matter of you getting there and I think it's with a lot of perseverance that um, you know I was I'm able to get it to that position and you know mind you I, I have a, a very difficult education background. Like I have a, you know, in this engineering background that super complicated, but I love problem solving. And I think of this as a problem solve, uh, something that I have to solve. And um, it's just, you know, taking it and running with it. And these opportunities have honestly been given to me, uh, not because of fate or chance, but because I really wanted it and I took it and I'm running with it to help everybody that I can along the way. The same way that you are giving me this platform to talk about, uh, myself, which you know, I, I, I get really shy talking about myself, but I I also value it because you're giving me this platform to talk about women's soccer, and um, you know, you're from the UK, I'm you know Iranian American, and here we are uh, speaking uh, with each other about women's soccer, and I just think that's so beautiful.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm sure that everyone listening is really inspired by, by what you shared and, and what we've spoken about today. Just to finish us off, we've got some one worders, so I'll read you a word. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Coaching.
1: Passion. Football. Love. Iran. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, learning.
1: Continuous. Legacy golden
0: love it okay you've com- you, you've completed the level <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank you
0: um Kat, thanks so much for um for joining us on the podcast today it's uh it's been a brilliant conversation
1: oh i had so much fun thank you for having me
0: join us at ukcoaching.org whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you